is your room clean? Your room is clean. Like your bed is made. All your Legos are off the floor. No dishes in your room. No crumbs all over the place. Your room is clean. You said your bed is made. No, your bed's not made. Okay, so can you... Hey folks, and welcome to Brown and Out. Today we're talking to Golden Mystique. How are you today, Golden? I'm great. How are you, Reginalds? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing fairly well. Um, I'm excited to talk to you because um, you're a wonderful person and um, you are an, an inspirational figure in the community, I would say, but we will get to all of that in a bit. Right now, I would love to know about your sort of uh, origin story, as it were. Um, I know that you grew up in Jamaica, Queens. Mm -hmm. Could you give us a, a bit of a slice of life as to what that was like growing up? Yeah, so growing up in Jamaica, Queens, um, we moved around a bit, but always stayed within like a mile radius of like where we were originally, like we were just within a mile of everything. <laughs> like we would walk past old apartments frequently. Um, it was me, my mother, um, my grandfather, um, and my brother. Uh, my grandmother was also there. Um, she moved after 9-11. She moved to Texas. And my grandfather um, would go down there to visit her, like, you know, once every couple months for like a week at a time and was waiting to move down there until he retired. So he was a big presence. Um, and, you know, it was me and my brother who were always butting heads. Um, we still don't really have much of a relationship because he's uh you know he's the typical like cishet black man like hotep vibes you know um and I combated that a lot growing up um my mom worked a lot um I started working when I was 14 um and I I basically like went through several different like stages of like of teenage angst <laughs> you know before I was even a teenager so I I I tried really hard to have a have an identity outside of like my little neighborhood where everyone knew me and my family, um, and I definitely like pushed back on um, not necessarily on my blackness, but on this part of my blackness that seemed really restrictive, um, which I think a lot of queer black people can relate to. Um, pushing away from something that just feels like it's um, it's just trying to take over and trying to fit you into this box. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I grew up very close to my family. My, everyone in our neighborhood knew my mom, knew my dad, me and my brother. Um, I didn't really get into trouble. I wasn't doing much. I was the bookworm. I was always, I always had a book. My mom took me, not necessarily my brother everywhere, but she took me everywhere with her. Like she would go to parties and bring me, she would go see her friends in Burmese. She taught me how to play spades when I was like seven. And <laughs> I, like, you, know, you know, she started, we started hustling and stuff. But for the most part, I would just like bring two or three books with me everywhere we went and read and say to myself with my headphones with Christina Aguilera playing and, <laughs> or whoever I was listening to at the time. It ranged, honestly. Um, it was like one week it's Christina Aguilera, another week it's like, Mudvayne. <laughs> so it was, 
you know, I was all over the place. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was pretty much growing up. Um, I had a lot of expectations that, um, I filled most of them up until I got pregnant. (laughs) Expectations around like education and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. My family is definitely, um, very much a part of this, like, hustle until you die mentality, very much about climbing corporate ladders. Um, They're still extremely disappointed and would like me to go to college. Um, And they think like once Hayden's older, my son, once my son is older, then I'll go back to school. And I just keep telling them that I'm just not interested in that like academic pursuit. Um, But we've, we've definitely struggled with this idea that I reject constantly of, I don't want to climb some corporate ladder. I don't want to like keep up with the Joneses. I'm fine with my little rinky dinky car. I don't need a fancy house in like a cul-de-sac, but that's kind of how all of that. That's how they live. Um, and that's kind of the expectation that I should want the same things that they do. You were saying, though, um, you you were good at sort of managing expectations until um, you became a parent. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. (laughs) Once I became a parent, it was like, um, I I definitely had in my mind how I wanted to raise my child, which was so different from how I was raised. Um, So a part of that was kind of leaving my family out of a good portion of uh, not my child's life because he has a very great relationship with my family. Um, I'm sometimes I'm a little envious of it, um, but he has a great relationship with my family, and I love that um, he can now he can he can see how at this age he's 11 he can see how they are as people and their beliefs and what they hold dear and where I'm different. And he, you know, so now um, I'm much more comfortable with the relationship he has with them and that he can talk to them whenever he wants without me, like, making sure I'm there to correct any type of language that they use or um, things like that. So, or for me to just constantly, I felt like for a while I was, like, constantly course correcting, you know. I moved away from home, so I got pregnant. I was really young, um, you know, and truly, like, I... I I truly was so ignorant to like a lot of what parenthood was and what it was to be on my own and to raise a child. I will say um, I I do wish I had that type of family support, but I don't regret not taking that support because I think my child would be, you know, in the sense, this type of hotep that my brother is. <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy that I, I, I did raise him um, and I'm still raising him on my own terms but it was really hard to be away from my family because we are, although problematic, like they believe like family comes before everything, blood comes before everything. So there is this sense of like familiarity and calm and acceptance within that. But then I just had to realize that they're not going to fully accept me as I am. So there's going to be a constant like force trying to push me to be something else. So there was, once I moved away, once um, 
I refused to move closer to them after Hayden was born. And even after um, me and his dad didn't work out, I think after that, they thought that I would just be closer to them. But I decided to stay further and further away physically um, to, you know, have, I built my own community. And um, I didn't, I was, I am still, I don't, well, I guess, by means of like taxes, I'm a single parent, but I, I don't feel so much like a single parent. I have my partner over the last couple of years um, and even more so since we moved in together, but also like I built a community to help me raise him in a community that shares the same beliefs and values that I do. And they've worked really hard as well to um, make sure that we've, we're okay um, and taken care of. And that's a beautiful thing. And that is sort of the definition of chosen family. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the family you chose, bringing us right up to to modern day, is in Vermont, right? Yeah. So, So, yeah. (laughs) I chose chose a family, um, you know, in White River, predominantly, um, that's and they pushed me into burlesque and and brought me into you know I wouldn't consider uh, the Burlington community my family necessarily I I feel like the the that's another subject but I feel like the queer community in Burlington could use a lot more of like community building um, but that's my in in that yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like there could be a lot more support for QT BIPOC in Burlington. Um, but so I don't want to attach myself to that entirely because I'm also so removed from it because I'm physically not in Burlington. Um, but I, I perform there. I, I started, that's where like I go and I get on stage and everyone loves me. And it's, I, I mean, I'm not much of an ego type person, but I will say like, I enjoy, uh, the love I get when I go up there. But my community in White River Junction, um, Heartland, there are people that have um, supported me and Hayden who have crowdsourced to make sure we have, um, to make sure I have a running car, who have, um, you know, I can just throw it out there in the group chat and be like, I need someone to watch Hayden because I have to work this day or I have this thing to do or have a show. And people would be like, yeah, sure, sure. Got it. Got it. Um, You know, any, when I started doing burlesque and I wanted to um, put on like a burlesque variety show, everyone was just like, how can we help? What can we do? Um, And it was an amazing turnout. Um, And everyone has just been so supportive there. So I have like a large, excuse me, I have a large community of people that I, you know, I'm so grateful for, I mean, most of them are white, but they're also in the sense like they do a lot of, naturally do a lot of like anti-racist work. Um, And I never had this, not never, um, but I I rarely had this moment of feeling like I had to do um, any type of emotional labor about, um, about race or social justice with them, that they were all doing this work already. Um, So it felt really, um, so it felt really just, it felt right, you know? Wonderful. And I'm glad that, um, that that's happened for you. That's beautiful. I really love hearing that. Um, so shout out to the 
White River area. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the White River babies, y'all know who y'all are. White River, Heartland, Woodstock, Hartford, Queechee, Woot Woot. <laughs> I could not have said it better myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Um, so I think this is a natural segue. Mm. So you are a parent to Hayden. Yeah. And uh, the community um, has sort of uh, rallied around you all and been helpful. Um, but also, <laughs> I know that sometimes um, there are hurdles in this parenting thing, and sometimes the hurdles are other parents. If you, if you would um, <laughs> speak to that a bit, sort of talk about, I mean, you are raising a Black child in Vermont, right? And other people are um, as well, but not necessarily in the same way. Yeah. So I, and I just want to be a little bit clear, like Hayden is biracial and he is, he has um, like ambiguous light skin privilege. So there's that, like he is, I don't, I hate the term white passing, but for most people, I will say that he is just, he is a white passing child. So I have um, that difficulty of him understanding his racial identity, which is, you know, a phenotype, how he presents and how he looks, and his um, his ethnicity, his cultural identity. Um, I struggled a lot. I still struggle, and I will continue to struggle. He's in a new school this year because we moved um, in April. So we moved in April, and he's in a new school. And whenever we moved, we've moved a couple times. Um, and whenever we've moved, it's always that like um, anxiety and difficulty of advocating and making sure that, um, you know, his curriculum and what the teachers are teaching him and his classmates are not limiting to just, you know, we teach Black History Month in February and all we teach you about is Rosa Parks and Dr. King. <laughs> so, um and there's a lot of pushback from parents with that. I was very fortunate because um, I had a community member, a close friend of mine who who also has two biracial daughters a year older than Hayden, twins, who um, was his teacher for two years. Like they, he, she ended up being moved to another grade, you know, after he was done with one grade. And she is a huge advocate and um, I would call her an accomplice, you know, and she, she's my like exception to when I see white women raising black children. (laughs) Like she's one of those people where I'm like, you know, you're doing a great job and you're constantly listening and you're making yourself um, vulnerable to realize that you're white and you're always going to be white. She's not someone who, thinks having black children absolves her from racism. If anything, she sees the problematic stance with like having black children as a white woman. Um, but yeah, so I was really fortunate that um, Hayden had this person that he just, he knew personally, but also someone that I could talk to about, you know, I could talk to about any issues that I had with, you know, the curriculum or, you know, this kid said something that I think is really racist. Can you address it? And having her there, um, she was my neighbor. (laughs) So she literally like, we shared a wall, like our apartment shared a wall. um, And we spent a lot of like time together socially and 
Um, so it was just comforting. And I'm glad that he had someone that he could go to for those two years. But it didn't take away from the fact that parents tend to ultimately, um, a lot of my issues came with like, I would get so excited when I would see black children anywhere and then realize that their parents were trash. <laughs> and so that was hard um, because I, I want the children to feel comfortable and I want to be able to give them some sort of, you know, I'm not a kid person, but I, I have a, an open space for black children more than anything. Um, and I wanted to provide that for black children, but it's hard to do that when I need to feel like I need to overextend myself to educate their parents. Um, and then there are just, you know, the white children who get to be completely absolved of learning anything or being educated um, because of their white parents and their privilege. Um, you know, so it's, it's all truly, and also understand that they're children, you know, they're, they're part of a system that, um, they're part of a system that they did not ask to be a part of. Um, but it's, they need to learn if a black child needs to learn about them being black or understand their experience being black at a certain age, then white children should be held to the same accountability. So it's a, it's rough. (laughs) Uh, indeed, right. Um, white people should know that they are white. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't know. I did, I did not mean to reduce what you said. <laughs> but on, as to your final note, you know that was right. The- yeah, like they they need to acknowledge their whiteness. They need to acknowledge where um, they need to acknowledge not just their privilege, but the entire foundation of like white supremacy, which upholds like transphobia and fat phobia and ableism and xenophobia like all of these things they're not all separate they're all part of white supremacy um and it's just really difficult because i'm not an educator you know i could be a shit stir i can make someone feel really uncomfortable so they can sit with themselves and really think about why they um why they need to educate themselves more but i'm not the one to educate them and i don't want to be i have no interest in like upholding any like inclusion diversity (laughs) or like I have no interest in doing anything like that um because for me it's just too taxing but you know I don't think it's too much to ask for the schools who are they do have the resources the education the the foundation to to teach um to teach in a way that is meaningful based on each child and their grade level and their understanding and how they absorb information, they can do that. It shouldn't fall entirely on parents of black children or black parents in general. Right. Absolutely. Um, so step it the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Step it up white people. I, yes. And when I say whole, I will say it with my whole chest, Hayden has had to end friendships with some of his little friends because y'all are not coming in my house. Just know if your kids are not educated, I don't give a shit if my kid likes to, you know, play ice hockey with homie or nothing. It does not matter. This motherfucker ain't coming in my house. We arrange no play dates. If I can't have a conversation with you comfortably, then you will not have any presence in my child's life. That is point blank period. So he'll see little Timmy at school when they go back to school, but he'll see little Timmy at school because he has to. There will be no outside um, 
lollygagging and no, we're not doing that. Let's circle back to what you were saying um, previously Mm -hmm. about uh, the queer community in Burlington or lack thereof. So I do not live in Burlington. I will state that for the record. I, my time in Burlington, I is strictly mostly, not strictly, I'm sorry. My time in Burlington is mostly when I'm performing or I'm going to performances or going out um, socially. Um, However, I have felt no need other than seeing a couple of um, black and brown people from time to time. I felt no need to actually overextend myself to go up to Burlington um, to do anything outside of nightlife and burlesque and drag shows because it does not seem like, um, it just doesn't feel like an essence of community. It very much feels like there are groups of friends who take care of groups of friends. And it's the same thing in the burlesque and drag community. It's not, it's, I, I can't, I keep saying community and it's just not, it's, it's a, I don't know. I'll think of another word, but you know, it's like, it is like a family essentially where there's like four or five people who just kind of like chill and they, they do each other's shows and they hang out. Um, And then, you know, my issue is because this is what I face in my community in White River. If someone's being problematic, if they've done something harmful, the other people who are not the marginalized people in this community do the work to hold that person accountable, um, to make sure they no longer cause harm, to remove them if necessary, um, to make sure anyone around them that is being harmed is safe. Um, That the problem I've noticed in Burlington is that um, the queer community, they don't like to hold other queer people accountable. There's this level of like, well, I'm queer, so I can't be racist. My nigga, yes, you can. And you are. I have a Black boyfriend. You know who the fuck I'm talking about, too. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about, too. Because in the fact that people rallied around this person, you still let this person exist and not just exist, but exist in this way where they can thrive where they are not held accountable, where they can still um, cause harm, that's a problem. So if there's like one section of people who's like, well, fuck that person because they did X, Y, and Z, but then there's another section of people who's still queer and still in the part of the queer community, the LGBTQ plus community that are still co-signing on this person, it's not a community. It's not. If there are too many people co-signing one person or saying, well, I don't think this person did this and I don't think this person did that. The problem is when, even if you are trans and white, you can be racist. If you are, you know, white and gay, you can be transphobic and you can be racist. I, I think people are ignoring these intersections and thinking that just because they identify as a, a part of a marginalized community that they cannot cause harm to people who are more marginalized. <laughs> so like everyone is, a, is poss- it is so possible for everyone, including black people to be anti-black. You know what I mean? So if I can be anti-black, then yes, your white ass, regardless if you're gay, a lesbian, trans, you can also be anti-black. So <laughs> it's a struggle. And I think there's not enough accountability. It's just like large groups of friends and Burlington's a large community. You know, there's the UVM community of like students and shit like that who are in and out. 
and there are other like I've noticed other pockets of the queer community but like I said I do not go out of my way to try and embed myself in that because it seems like a lot of work um and I can just observe at this point (laughs) thank you for your insight into that that was um uh well said and true do you agree that i mean not I do you agree oh, but you were part of that like you're up oh, there yeah. i'm i'm up in <laughs> air yeah so uh, a word that i was thinking of as you were uh i wasn't trying to like think over you but <laughs> I- <laughs> oh instead of community did you come up with another word no no, no, no. I, oh. I mean, it's clickish is the word yeah. I was thinking of mostly. Is like, it's very, and that's, I mean, it's what everyone says. And yeah. it's, in, but the thing is, not always in a bad way. I think some people are like into it being that way. It's like, yeah, that's clickish. Like, that's how we like it. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't change by any means. Don't, don't improve, right? Um, just, yeah. you know, it's totally fine with like, I believe I, I like clicks. In the sense that, especially for um, for people that have similar interests, who um, or people who don't necessarily feel safe in like an overall community and form their own like clique, you know, um, I'm I'm just thinking of like, you know, I had cliques growing up. I was definitely like super nerdy at one point, and then I got really hardcore into like punk rock and I was part of the punk rock clique um I was part of like the well the emo and punk rock cliques kind of overlapped truly um yeah in the school that I went to but you know as adults I feel like we're allowed to have cliques and have spaces where we feel the most safe and supporting people that are really close to us because it is a lot to just be so available to a large group of people that's outside of like your your circle Um, But we still need to, like, work within the community with other cliques. You know, it can't just be a clique. It has to be, like, you know, that's how TERFs get created. You know, TERFs are their own, like, weird, toxic fucking clique. And I'm like, you shouldn't be allowed to, like, be a part. You shouldn't be, like, you are not LGBTQ, boo-boo. Because you you are not queer if you were a TERF. But it's like, it's an, it's like a click. It's a, it is a click. It's a toxic click, but it's a click that other clicks are not doing enough to like combat. There's a reason why there are terps, you know? <laughs> so that's, that's my, that's my stance on like clicks. Like I'm, I'm about clicks if they're like healthy, because I do believe having small pockets of like friends that you're close to who you want to like stay committed to but also like your friends could be problematic so what do you do in those clicks when those friends are problematic we gave them like we gave people who are turfs like we gave them that term and put them we were like that's that click and that's over there and they get to cause this type of harm and yeah we we're trying to combat it as like as individuals but if there was more of the sense of community and we were actually truly holding each other accountable even if like you and I are friends if I do something problematic you have to hold me accountable you can't just say well now go over there with other problematic people until like we've done the work so it's just like all these different layers and I just don't I don't think I think because of how overwhelmingly white Vermont is um, and how white people just don't know how to be uncomfortable that it's just not going to, um, anytime soon, it's not going to be um, more of a community. 
Um, and especially won't be unless it, it just seems like most of the work already is being done by black and brown people. Can you tell us about um, being a creative writer and what that means for you? Yeah, so I've I've always loved reading and part of that from why I've enjoyed reading so much is the inspiration I get to write. Um, and a lot of, I write often, I write little doodles in my work notes. I write, you know, I've journaled a lot less during the pandemic, but I typically am someone who journals a lot. Um, I'm someone who enjoys, I have to write my thoughts out frequently to process them and understand what I'm feeling. And I, you know, I, when I don't do that, it's very obvious because I become like a hot fucking mess. So, um, I love creative writing in the sense, like from my perspective as like a black queer woman. And, you know, I, I try and write out how, how I feel my experience and trying to, to not necessarily mimic, but trying to form those thoughts in the same ways of like, people that I idolize, like Bell Hooks and Angela Davis and Octavia Butler, like trying to to form these thoughts that I have in a way that I I could I could write them and someone else would be able to understand what I'm saying. Um, because I very much write in circles, kind of like how I talk. <laughs> and then it turns into um, you know, I just kind of go on these rants and then I, I form these sub thoughts from something I said like minutes ago. Um, and I enjoy writing and I was like, all right, I'm going to start comprising like all the things that I've written and just my new thoughts and, um, and start to blog. I've only put up one entry (laughs) because it's so vulnerable. You know, it takes up so much courage to make something public, to talk about, um, you know, your existence. And a big part of my existence is learning. And a lot of that learning came from me being wrong a lot. And I'm fine with being uncomfortable in that sense, but it's hard being, um, being a, like being a black woman and having to, when you're already constantly wrong, society just sees you as wrong. You're born and everything about you is wrong. That's what you're told. Right. And to, to put out thoughts or ideas or like talk about your mistakes and your shortcomings, it feels, um, it feels harmful, you know, if, but I know it's not, but it feels harmful. It feels like I'm, you know, and this is something that I have to combat. It feels like I am um, giving in to what society always tells me. Um, so it's super vulnerable. It's more vulnerable to me than like shaking my ass on stage. <laughs> like it's, it's so much more vulnerable. So I'm, I'm trying really hard. And this is like a newish adventure. I've always been someone who loves writing, but um, this is a new adventure of like actually putting it out there for people to read. Log away um, <laughs> to the extent that you, you know, have the energy for that. I think are going to get a lot out of that. Um, being vulnerable, you know what I mean? Sharing in that way. Um, you're leading by example, you know? Yeah. Um, do you ever write music? Write music? Uh, well, uh, songs, perhaps? 
Did we talk about that? Did I write us? I'm 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 curious. I don't know. I oh <laughs> no. I do. I have not. I like to sing jingles to myself, but the problem is I get songs stuck in my head and I get like these melodies stuck in my head. I feel like I could write like parodies. I truly feel like I could write parodies because I get these melodies stuck in my head and then I start like just saying shit, but it's mostly like me like yelling at my child in a song, not like yelling, but like scolding or like disciplining my child, like with like the tune of like, Woo from by Rihanna in my head. <laughs> I think that is brilliant, and you could be this generation's weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> um, so, well, okay, so not necessarily uh, a music writer, but I do want to see that album when you're ready to make it. I'll be ready when Rihanna's ready. Truly, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You heard I'm that, Re? Riri's okay. done. That is the. An- Sad. That is an open invite. Okay. (laughs) But do you have any uh, music recommendations I'm curious about? Oh, I, yeah. I love, okay. I love Tierra Whack. Megan Thee Stallion's also always a fave. Here, let me pull up my music right now and just scroll through, like, my most recent, like, what a bitch is listening to. Oh, Jasmine Sullivan's last... Um, latest album all Jasmine Sullivan I really when I when someone said that they didn't know who Jasmine Sullivan was I truly was like actually I'm done I I don't know you and I wouldn't care to know you um love me some sweetie you know Doja is problematic but Doja got bops and if the white queers are gonna still read Harry Potter then I can still listen to Doja Cat so um, that's how I feel. SZA always, <laughs> I love Pop Smoke. Um, you know, old school. I, I also really love Ella Fitzgerald's. Um, I love Pink's first album. That's a bop. Well, there so, you go. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> Looking pitiful. Just cause let you go that was such a that was a bop i just love i love r&b let's see who else um kalila is great serpents with feet have you ever heard of oh they are amazing they're like i'll put on is that what is the name of that album with soil on it and i'll listen to that whole album it is a story from beginning to end like i will that's the one album i will never put on shuffle that and all of beyonce like all of beyonce's albums are a story and serpent with feet like their their like album album is um is a full story like do not put it on shuffle um moses sumney um oh so like i'm sitting here like i just love and i rarely listen to white artists now just like I'll listen to, like, I don't listen to new white artists. It's like how I feel about buying fur. Like I don't buy new fur. I buy old ass vintage fur. So I'll listen to like pink and like old school Christina Aguilera. You won't catch me listening to like any new Ariana Grande or any Ariana Grande period. Cause she's new in my mind. Like when I woke up and I came out of the sunken place, Ariana was like popping. So I'm like, Oh, I, I don't fuck with you. So I do like my old whites 
like you know all the heavy metal shit too that I enjoyed but then I just don't listen to a lot of the new whites um it really got to be popping like it got to be popping and it has to be like not a smidge of appropriation um in it at all and the artist has to be like squeaky clean and since white people are not squeaky clean here we go we listen to BIPOC people so (laughs) beautiful um let's speak for a bit about um being a Virgo with Uh, well, this is where we relate. We could we, like have a whole show just about talking about being a Virgo. We certainly could try <laughs> that out. I'm down. <laughs> um, but two Virgos doing a podcast together, it really could get hectic. Um, really? But yeah, how how does that relate to your identity, basically? Mm. I'm like, I'm an organized chaotic mess. I'm, uh, I, I love order, but not too much of it. I like to know where, like, I, if my room or my space is a mess, I know exactly where everything is. Um, (laughs) and that happens often, but I also now live with another Virgo. My partner's a Virgo and, um, he also has like, he has like OCD. So he's like a, I don't do mess Virgo (laughs) at all. Um, And then his daughter is a Taurus and she obsessively cleans things. So, (laughs) um, you know, I feel like my life has become a bit more organized since we've been all together, but my, my Virgo tendencies come in when I'm performing, I'm constantly, constantly like that could have been better. Or I know exactly where I messed up and I'm going to do it right a second time. I need to redeem myself. Um, if, if the costume isn't on point, if I see like one rhinestone out of place, a bitch throws a fit and like an internal fit, because I don't want people to think that I'm a hot mess, you know, like it's internal. I'm beating myself up internally. You think I'm cool, calm and collected. And I am on the outside, but on the inside, I'm a mess. Like I am, I'm truly just like raging. <laughs> Um, I'm sure you can relate because you're always like so cool and calm and collected. But then I see that Virgo death stare in your eyes where I'm like, oh, you want to beat a bitch up. I see it. And that's fine. Um, I, I judge people, but I predominantly judge white people. So I feel like that doesn't really count. Um, you know, but I also love white mess. You know, I love seeing white mess. White on white crime is my favorite. It's like... <laughs> I I love it. Like now it's like we can't go out like and do things. So like social media when I see the whites fighting, oh, their drama is so meaningless and petty, but it's still like it's like watching the real housewives. It just like fulfills something. Um so yeah, my Virgoness is truly it structures my life. I feel like I'm very much a Virgo. I'm a Capricorn rising. Um and my moon sign, I'm a Scorpio moon. So there's, there's a lot in there. Like I could break down a lot of my, um, you know, I could talk through a lot of my tendencies, my, my thoughts and my ideas and the way that I function and move. Um, but I truly want to do that more so with a therapist 
because I feel like there's some shit that needs to be resolved. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I have some like toxic tendencies. Um, and everyone does, you know, like no one's perfect. We all have things, but mine are definitely like more internal. Like I am toxic towards myself. <laughs> um, so that can be a bit hard, but uh, yeah, I, I just love that, you know, I'm seen as a Virgo. I'm seen as someone who just sits, thinks of themselves as being superior to everyone else. And I'm like, sure, cool. If that's what y'all think, then that's fine. <laughs> Are you saying that astrology is not a substitute for therapy? See, I didn't necessarily say that. I <laughs> Okay, I will say... I love astrology. I can't fuck with CoStar anymore. Did you see like their founder talking like about, so their founder did this interview and was saying that, remember when CoStar first came out and their notifications were fucking harmful and like so fucked up and mean. And the founder was like, if someone's having like a good, um, if their chart is looking good and they're on like a good wavelength based on their chart, then we like to throw in things like that just to keep them on their toes, like throw in like these toxic messages. And I'm like, this white woman is, I'm like, no, bitch, you don't get to do that. You don't get to like dictate how someone's going to feel about themselves with your fucking notifications. So yeah, I, um, I don't, I like the pattern because it's, it's void of like, of, uh, of self hate in a way. Like it's not, there are no, like the messages are very like clear and to the point. It's not telling me to like get my fat ass out of bed. It's just like, it's just like, you know, girl, talk through this shit, please. (laughs) Like, you know, you got something you need to talk through right now. Like stop being shady. It's just like very to the point. Um, and I like, um, Shawnee Nichols too. Like I do enjoy astrology. It helps me at least understand where I am at a, at a given moment. Um, and helps me understand when I'm feeling like a shift in my energy, when I'm feeling, um, and I'm like non-hormonal, <laughs> like when I'm feeling like the shift that I can, um, that I can like process through it. And then yes, ther- therapy should be primary astrology, secondary. We we spoke some time ago. Now this might have been, I believe it was actually 2019, that oh. we had a sort of pre-interview interview. I had taken some notes, and it was around that time um, you told me that you had a conversation with your family and sort of opened up more about your sexual identity. Do you want to speak to that at all? Yeah. So the main person um I spoke to was my mom uh she's kind of my like it used to be my aunt her sister that was like my um my spokesperson my middleman between me and my family who can kind of like when things would happen could kind of warm them up to it and um so I didn't have to do too much like emotional labor um but I've always known my I've always known I'm not straight you know, like, I I guess I would consider myself, like, pansexual, um, and, you know, I, 
my thing is, and I, we talked about how I am with parenting and like how I kind of separate myself from my family. I never felt the need to truly come out to them because I was not, um, I had no intentions of like being in a, a committed long-term relationship with anyone or thinking that anyone would be around my family. Um, and I keep a lot to myself and I, like I have my chosen family and that's where I feel like I have that, um, I have that, uh, that compassion and that like comfort. Um, so I, when I met my partner, I was like, fuck, <laughs> this is, um, this is going to be hard. Cause I knew that we were on this road to, um, road to commitment. And if it wasn't that, then I had this overall feeling like I was just like, I don't necessarily see myself being with cisgendered men in, anymore or for a long period of time. If Even if this relationship didn't work out, I was just like, I, I have been in relationships with a couple, including my son's dad. And I, you know, it could be because they're white that they were just problematic, but also cisgendered, cishet men are just, it's just a whole, it's just a lot, you know, to have to deal with on a regular basis. Um, so I, I talked to my mom when I was like walking to my car from work one day in Hanover, I was driving, um, I was on my way to go home and I was like, look, I don't want to talk about like, cause my mom likes to get into these details of things. Like she's like, I want to know like exactly when it, when you decided this, have you, have you ever had sex with um, women before, like she would get into all of these. I know her. So I was just like, I don't want to talk about, um, you know, the details of my sexuality. I want you to know that I am not straight. I'm currently dating someone who, um, is not a cisgendered man. (laughs) Um, so we had this, we had this entire conversation, um, and this was also before my partner um, came out. So this was, you know, this was really like when they had just come out um, as like realizing that they were not straight. <laughs> they were like, I'm not straight. I don't want to be in this relationship that they were in at the time. Um, that was also like really abusive. But I had this conversation with my mom where I was just like, I'm not, um, I'm not straight. I'm with someone who validates that I am not straight. Um, and I, I've known this for some time and we don't need to talk about details cause that's not important. Um, and she, she heard me for the most part, you know, from time to time, she will still ask questions. Um, she did talk to my family about it. My grandfather, um, who I, you know, kind of raised me like a daughter. Um, you know, I'm not close with my, my father. Um, but my grandfather is in denial, um, is not, uh, I think he's slightly accepting it now that we've moved in together. Um, but he's been kind of like the, he's been the elephant in the room, not me. You know, his discomfort has been the elephant in the room. I haven't physically been around them though, since I came out. So I haven't seen them, um, except for my aunt. Um, I haven't seen them. Wait, hold on. I did. I saw my grandmother and my grandfather and my aunt, but not my mother. Yeah. Um, 
and mostly everyone's been accepting of it. It wasn't that it was hard to do. It was just, I, you know, I feel like a lot of it comes from, well, you, you have a child and you've been with men. So how could you possibly not be straight? And because that's how limiting their brains, like that's how limiting their experiences and their perspective is. Um, so it's just this, this labor and this emotional burden of feeling like I have to prove myself with like details and accounts of things, which I don't need to do. I've been fucking people in general for a long time. (laughs) So just people, I, you know, but that is not something they know, you know, I've done sex work. That is not something they know. I've, I've done, you know, my, my first dom was an Indian woman. (laughs) I, I, you know, I've done this, I've done this work. I've been around, um, and attracted to people that are not, um, cis men for most of my life. So it's just, um, this coming out in general of like, just letting my family know that this is where I stand so that they don't have like this, so they're not shocked by anything, which I feel like the coming out was mostly for them as opposed to being for me. Thank you very much. Um, (laughs) I would like to take a moment and talk about OnlyFans and sort of uh, what it symbolizes. So I want to say last night, funny story before I get into this, but a great segue. I, Hayden asked me if, he could see the, I recently bought him some like sweatpants and stuff from H&M. So he's like, can I see them? So I opened up the tab, a tab on my computer to show him what I got. And one of the other tabs was OnlyFans. And he said, oh, you have an OnlyFans? <laughs> and I said, what you know? And mind you, everything got like, Mel was like playing Candy Crush next to me and like just stopped. And we just like turned and looked at him and we're like, the fuck? How you know what OnlyFans is? And he's like, some people I know have an OnlyFans. And I was like, who the fuck? You're 11. So apparently, so I, he follows like these gamers who stream on like YouTube. And there is gaming OnlyFans. I did not know this. There are some people who are like, you know, probably too inappropriate for a child to watch, but there are gamers who stream on OnlyFans. And I did not know that OnlyFans was used for that as well. Um, Because it's a way that they can monetize. Because on YouTube, like, yeah, I think they get like ad money from ads and things like that. But the streaming they can do, they can actually get paid from the people who like to watch them play. I had no idea. But when I say I grilled this motherfucker for ever until I was like how you know and then he started to like lie because he was like am I not supposed to know I knew I know my child and you know Mel backed me up when I was like if he was if he knew it wasn't appropriate he wouldn't have brought it up he wouldn't have said anything he would have been like like that time that he told me he googled what an orgy was and I was like I it took so much for me to get it out of him. So yeah, sorry. This probably goes more into like the parenting part of it than the OnlyFans part of it. I thought it might have been uh, from Beyonce because um, my hips tick tock when I dance. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I thought that that was a Beyonce. That was what it was from, but no. Okay. 
No, he, so it was, so yes, I, um, I had to explain what OnlyFans was to my child last night and why my reaction was like, oh my God, why the fuck do you know about this? This is not okay. And then I went, cause I, I like monitor his, uh, the YouTube account and I was like, okay, this is, and then I Googled like OnlyFans for gamers. And there's like, that's a thing. It's like gamers who stream and play and have an OnlyFans account. I'm sure some of it's inappropriate, but it looks like mostly just like people gaming and people are like paying, paying them to like see, like to stream what they're doing. So OnlyFans can be for anything, <laughs> apparently, which is getting into, you know, that question. OnlyFans can be used for anything. If you want to pay someone for any type of content, then it is there. It's set up like social media. I am really, really new to it. Um, OnlyFans.com slash Golden Mystique. Um, $5.99 a month if you would like to sign up. I'm going to do a promo really soon. Um, and I post like my nudes. I post when I'm feeling like super sexy. Um, I have a lot, you know, great lighting, great lingerie and outfits. I look flawless. Um, I post, um, I'm working on editing a, a burlesque video now to go on there. But 2021, I decided that I'm going to try and do more virtual burlesque um, shows. So a lot of that will be, um, putting the videos up on OnlyFans as well. Um, and you know, I've, I enjoy, I'm, I do miss sex work a lot of the times and it's not because of like, oh, a pandemic and I can't perform, although that's also valid, but I do miss, um, I miss, uh, I miss the exploration of, sex work. I miss um, meeting people that way and learning new things that way. My body is such an important part of me um, and my sexuality is such an important part of me and not having that truly, you know, or not, not, not having it, it's always there, but not um, diving into it and making it a part of my life has been a really hard part about living in Vermont um, because it's just so you know, it's, it's so small here (laughs) and it can be hard because it's easy to get docs. It's easy for people to know, to be able to tell your employer, to figure out where you work and tell your employer what you do and what you're, what you're doing on the side. And there's that fear, um, of doing sex work, even having an OnlyFans site. I am kind of worried about, um, you know, someone from my job possibly finding it. Um, but, I've, I've enjoyed like just posting, putting up great pictures and videos where I feel sexy and knowing that people want to see that, um, and getting paid for it. I don't think anyone should not, I, especially, um, black women, I don't think black women should do anything for free. That's just how I feel. I feel like we live in this capitalist society and no one's giving us shit for free. So we shouldn't be giving anyone else shit for free. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like unless you want to do something because you want to do something, but I'm not putting my, like, I'm not going to, and that, that's like kind of lines up with like me performing in Vermont as well. It's like, I, I'm going to say, this is what my fee is. And this is what you can pay me to, to be vulnerable and expose myself or to do my art. You know what I mean? And if you're not going to match that, then my energy won't, like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> um, 
And I think that's a big issue um, because like I said, a lot of Vermont is cliquish and people just do things for fun. And it's not necessarily about the, um, about the art form itself. Fuck these motherfucking millionaires. Let fuck all y'all. If anyone is listening and subscribes to an OnlyFans of someone who is truly in the 1% or close to 1% tax bracket, if you were not supporting local sex workers, if you truly are not aware of the damage that these people are causing by taking up spaces. Like when I say all social media platforms will truly like remove your entire presence and act like you never existed. If there's even a, a, a possibility of a nipple being in there and like celebrities will always be able to like post pictures because they have a blue check mark or they're just well known and have all these followers and be able to post, you know, pictures that I could not post. We all have to be so careful. And there are so many sex workers out there that are, um, that are educating people all over Instagram. And I just want people to do the work and find um, trans sex workers, black sex workers, brown sex workers, fat sex workers, disabled sex workers that are truly educating, putting in the work who need to be paid because what their work is work. Um, And respecting that I fuck Trey songs and you know, that nigga who decided he was a Trey songs. One of these niggas decided that they was going to get on. Huh? Chris Brown has an OnlyFans. Fuck him too. You have so much money. First of all, I don't want to, and I know they're not posting dick pics. Like, I know y'all aren't actually doing sex work. I know y'all just posting, like, some regular ass shit that I could probably see, like, by Googling your fucking name might be, right? (laughs) Exactly. It's like, it was Trey, I think it was Trey Songz that posted a picture of him, like, in the shower from, like, here up. What? I don't want to see your basic ass abs, my guy. Show me everything or don't show me anything. And then they charge so much a month. Like, and yes, I understand OnlyFans can be used for other things. And like I said, like my son was like, there are gamers that are on there. Like he told me, like I found out about people that are gaming and on there. Um, And I'm not educated enough to like have a, educated enough on that topic to really have an opinion about gamers being on OnlyFans and using space on there. But I know that that's a a portion of it in comparison to celebrities and people who have so much fucking money already. You want my money? That's like when I see Nancy Pelosi and I'm fucking Joe Biden in my fucking inbox asking for money for what? For what, B? For what? What can I do? You want my, you want my $5 for what? I want to give my $5 to someone who really genuinely needs that $5. Like I just, and then like the celebrities, it's not even like $5. They're charging, like they have scales and they're charging like a ridiculous amount of month. And you know, all these people, they have thousands of followers and they're fucking up the scales. They're fucking up the visibility for sex workers. And it's, you know, I love Cardi, but she, another one that fucked up and decided to do that. And the fact that she is a sex worker or she has been a sex worker and has not spoken up enough about the, about the um, censorship of sex workers on social media platforms, specifically on Instagram. Um, But it's still profiting in this way where 
you know, she's still making money on this platform that sex workers need, especially more so now that this is a whole last panoramic. There was recently an insurrection at the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. I would like your thoughts about that, as well as thoughts on the notion that Black women are here to save America. The insurrection, like when I, I, I mentioned um, that I love white on white crime and that was white on white violence. It truly, you know, it, it sat in my heart in this space of being like, I, I was on Twitter, but my Twitter is predominantly black and it wasn't really on like any other social media platform and the jokes, it was great. Um, it was disgusting and truly, I, I hate the comparison of if that were Black people, we would have been shot. The difference is Black people and Indigenous people have a right to vandalize the Capitol in all of D.C. Like, <laughs> truly, the bills, the laws that have come from there, we have a right. Um, and it would be so, ju- it would be for an actual meaning, like something that is actually meaningful um, and just, as opposed to um, y'all mad that this orange nigga ain't gonna be a president no more. I don't fucking care. But to see the audacity and the rage, and then for white people to then try to separate themselves from that comedy, I was like, no, these are your people. These are your people. Claim these ragamuffin ass motherfuckers as your people. Stop saying that they're from a trailer park. These are wealthy people. Who the fuck in a trailer park can afford to take time off of work and travel to D.C.? That makes no fucking sense. It makes no sense. These are people who have nine to five jobs or people who have like time off and money and enough money to get on a plane in the middle of a pandemic to get a hotel room in D.C.? Have y'all paid for their hotel room in D.C. before? Because I have. And when I say that that shit hurt my soul, how much money I paid to stay in D.C. for a night in a hotel room, hurt my fucking soul. So these are not people in the fucking trailer park. They are funded by companies and organizations. They are funded by people in politics. They are educated people who like they are academically educated people who decided to go do this. So it just like, to me, I'm like, these are y'all people. Stop trying to remove yourselves from them and claim them, claim them because they are a mess. Because if I have to claim every hotep on this side of the sun, then y'all have to claim all these motherfuckers. And that's part of like black women saving the world. Black women are responsible or have been held responsible for all niggas. We are constantly held responsible for every fucking person who is Black and have to educate them, have to lift them up, have to um, course correct them, have to love them, have to care for them. So if I have to do that, or I don't have to do that, I know that. But if I'm held to that standard, then white people are held to the standard of these are your fucking people. So don't look so fucking shocked and amazed. Don't, oh my God, what is this? This is not our country. Bitch, it is your fucking country. This is your country. This is exactly what your country was founded on. This is what America is. So it really, it was fun to watch. And then afterwards I was like, 
I really need y'all to stop. I really need y'all to stop making it seem like this is so catastrophic. And this is the worst thing that has ever happened in this country when like people like Andrew Jackson exists, so have existed. So I'm really going to need y'all to stop and really think about how like these are white people. They are related to you in some way. They are a part of you. They claim you. You should claim them. Rep that set. Rep it. That's the gang you was born into, my dog. So that's the gang you finna stay with. That's how I feel. Like, yes, we have allies and accomplices and people who are doing anti-racist work. But those people who are really doing that work understand that they are responsible for these white people. That they are one and the same. You cannot separate yourself from them because that is a privilege. It's it's truly a fucking privilege. So I got, I really truly enjoyed the nonsense. I enjoyed dude in a Chewbacca bikini, um, you know, being a hot mess. I enjoyed um, seeing the Confederate flag in the Capitol because I was like, yeah, boo, go off. Cool. Because that's what y'all do. Like, that's what y'all do. Like, to me, I'm like, oh, this is white people just being white people. And everyone's like, oh, this is not how whiteness works. I'm like, that is exactly how it works. This is exact. This is exactly how it is. And I, I like, I loved it. (laughs) It was like a, I was just like, it was hard in some senses, because like I said, the hard part was white people being like, I am not this type of white person. We need to do blah, blah. Y'all should have been doing this because the fact that anyone feels that powerful and that unstoppable and feels like they are above anyone that much to feel like they could go into the Capitol and do this, or they can just continue to act the way that they act. They could go to a place called Chocolate City. DC is Chocolate City. You went to a place of black ass residents and started a riot. And you... They've been empowered by other white people. So no, Boo-Boo, you were still connected to them. You were still a part of them. That's your people. Like, that's and, it. <laughs> and so the people who need to necessarily fix this are and will always be white people, right? Mm-hmm. And not um, Stacey Abrams. <laughs> and not... Well, and not- I gotta hear Stacey Abrams' name one more time. Look, Boo Boo has done a lot of work and I'm not even going to be condescending or patronizing. Stacey Abrams has put in work. Stacey Abrams has not put in work by herself. There are other Black women surrounding Stacey Abrams who have done that work in other communities, smaller districts in Georgia. Like, Stacey Abrams has not done all this work alone. And every state, every county, every city has a Stacey Abrams backed by other Black women who are doing more work than they should because people rely on them to do it. And and while we can see that their work is so um, necessary and transformative, um, to expect that labor is racist, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to get that out of the way. <laughs> yes, it is. yes, it 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 truly is, and um, you know that's the that's just the trouble with this is why I hate politics. But there's this um, this pedestal within white supremacy, even 
where black people tend where they where they let black people fit in and assimilate whereas if you're doing this type of work this this grueling work that you get you barely get recognized for or you get recognized for when other white people start to notice you it's just it's so limiting to people who like me who are like, I just want to be a regular bitch. I want to exist and not be scared for my life half the time. I want to go to the grocery store and, you know, not worry about someone saying something off the wall or being followed or um, things like that. But I have to be a Stacey Abrams in order to be valuable. And that's really, it's really frustrating. And the fact that we keep putting that work onto black women, putting that um, expectation onto black women is anti-black and black people do it too. Like we do it as well. We put each other on this pedestal when someone's doing something that is, um, you know, sliding the scales, but we're just sliding. Like, like I still say like black, I'm still not for capitalism, even black capitalism, you know, like, LLC, Black Twitter loves to talk about like how to get your money up and stack your paper and, you know, make all of, do all of this. And I'm like, work 90 hours a week. Yeah. Like always hustling. And I'm like, I don't find that to be like Black excellence. I don't find that to be um, something to put up on a pedestal. I think we should just acknowledge that um, Black people should be allowed to exist. Um, You know, sans you know, their contribution to, uh, like, a white society. What does Black queer culture in Vermont look like to you? (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Oh, um, Black queer culture in Vermont does not exist at the moment. Um, There are individuals making a lot of contributions to try and create a black queer culture, but Vermont is overwhelmingly white. So um, regard, even if there is some semblance of a black queer culture, it's still heavily supported, attended in um, being visible through the white gaze. Um, and we always have to, in order to get funding, to get people places, to do, to do all of these, um, to exist, we still need support of white people, even the white gays. So Black queer culture is not, um, is not here, really. I feel like a lot of us carry it with us individually. Um, you know, we are also not a monolith. We, we're all, um, we, I feel like a lot of, most of the black queer community um that i've i've met i've i've been taken in by and loved have we've all been so different and all in different spaces in our um different spaces in our culture you know like everyone's so so um different in what their upbringing has been what their values are and we do have like this core understanding of being black and queer and in predominantly white spaces but you know, the culture part truly isn't, it's not here um, because we're bringing different parts of ourselves. um, And Vermont has to just not be predominantly white for there to be an existing culture. Um, So, you know, like I come from Queens and my, my culture, like my black culture of like being in Queens for, and someone who was raised in Vermont and who's black or someone who came here from LA or Oakland or whatever, that's a different type of culture as well. So um, I think it's going to take generations of like black queer communities being together 
in Vermont and being solidified and not needing, um, having support from the white community, because I do believe in like reparations, but not having to be visible to the, like not having to strive um, for any type of validation from the white community. Um, so not necessarily standing on our own, but having like a silent partner with the whites, <laughs> you know, and having, having the support to just um, exist and, and, and thrive in a place and thrive in a way that we want to, um, whether that's with the arts, um, whether that's financially, whether it's like having land and farming, um, there are so many different ways we can do that, but there just really isn't a culture here in my opinion. And, you know, anyone can, can debate that with me and I don't want to take from anyone's experience or take away from anyone's, um, idea of if they do feel like they have a culture and a representation here. Um, but my, my honest opinion is that there is no black queer culture in Vermont because we have not been sustained here long enough to, to have an actual culture. When do you feel most brown and out? Um, I feel most brown and out truly like, um, and this could be like the, the Virgo in me speaking. I feel most brown and out when I, I, um, I execute any idea I have in my mind, um, any, any plans that I have to feel good about myself, anything that I, um, any goal that I give myself, if it's, execute whether even if it's like I want to put on makeup and take a couple of cute pictures or I want to go for a walk and blast music um and having these goals in my head and executing them in the way that I see fit and the timing that I see fit um that's when I feel the most brown and out and that's I'm truly I truly feel that just in lines with my Virgo energy but it's it's when I'm allowing myself to do things that I want to do that um, have nothing to do with anyone else, just me. Wonderful. Um, thank you so much for sharing yourself with us today. Um, I don't want to take up more of your time, but if you have anything else to add. Pay Black women for their labor. Do not expect anything of Black women. Um, and, you know, if you're white and listening to this, sit with yourself for a little bit in silence and don't ask Black people how they feel about anything. <laughs> like, figure it out yourself. <laughs>